Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved media. My name is Thomas Clark, and this is Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. My brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. Today we will be discussing The Legend of Korra, Season 3, Episode 1, titled A Breath of Fresh Air. See now, already, already, This season is a million times better than season two. After just one episode, already, this season is a million times more interesting. A million times more compelling. Infinitely so. Than season two was, at any point in its 14 episode run, except for maybe beginnings, but whatever. Point is, Season 3, just in one episode, is already a million times more satisfying, infinitely more satisfying, than Season 2. This episode, this premiere episode of Season 3, is excellent. It is absolutely freaking fantastic. I love everything about it. It's so freaking amazing. Like, there's so many different layers to just this one episode where seemingly on the surface, not a whole lot happens. Like, it's just sort of an introduction. It's just sort of a act one playsetter episode. But there's so much going on underneath just in that playsetter that it's, It's just brilliant, the entire thing. And what I love about this episode is how it shows just how afraid Republic City is of the change that Korra enacted when she left the spirit portals open. How afraid a modern-day society can be of a fundamental shift in the world. Because this season is called Change. That is the title. If you look at the title card for every single episode, it'll say, Book 3, Change. And that is very much a theme here, and it goes on this magnificent personal journey of just showing how change affects each individual person in this world, and society as a whole in this world. Uh, The biggest example being the vines. So there are all these vines, and they've created this spirit wild, this sort of 
makeshift spirit forest within Republic City, and people are mad about that because I was living here and then the spirits came and took my home. And people just don't know how to process that that's just going to be life now. There's going to be spirits coming and going. They're so used to having this world for themselves, they can't understand. Now we have spirits. They're coming back. They're going to integrate into this world. And that means setting aside some real estate for themselves, regardless of what that real estate was used for by humans. But of course, like, we've had humans running the show for so long that's just like, Hey, what are you doing here? You're not allowed to be here. And so they turn to the Avatar like, Hey, Avatar, get rid of this. And Korra, like, as a result, goes through this arc of just... Of just aggressively doubting yourself, like, Was this the right thing to do? Should I have done this? Is the world better off for me not closing the spirit portals? For me reintroducing spirits to the world for another 10,000 years? Should I have closed it? Like, what have I done? Like, dealing with the consequences of her actions and how the world sees her now because of that... And, of course, she gets bogged down by approval ratings of, like, 8%, which, who are they even asking? And she has to kind of jump through all these hoops just to maintain her position of, Hey, the spirits and humans need to learn to coexist. Like, you need to learn to adapt to these new surroundings to this brave new world of spirits and humans on the same plane of existence. And she has to do all these things just to be like, okay, look, I'm trying to get rid of the vines. And she's just failing at getting rid of the vines over and over and over and over again. Uh, One time very, (laughs) very significantly, With accidentally bringing down a frickin' building. And it's just this really, really amazing arc of... Hey, uh... You know... We're all here! What the hell? Like, just resistant to... This brave new world that Korra has very wisely created. It's almost like, it's almost like the Avatar universe equivalent of the alt-right. Like, change? What? No! White people in power forever! Humans forever! Humans first! Make Republic City great again. It, It really is kind of that type of dynamic of, this is change. I don't like change. Boo. And this also extends to the new airbenders. Uh, the one dude who receives airbending and views it as this 
curse because he's never been an airbender. He doesn't know what he has and is so scared that he, like, climbs to the top of a bridge and just sits there and is like, hey, go away. I don't want to hurt anyone. Like, he's so terrified of his new abilities. So ingrained in being a non-bender that he's just like, I don't know what this is. I am afraid of it. And all of this is a really, really profound message of how a society reacts to change, how a society negatively reacts to change. Just in the first episode. Like, already we're getting really hard-hitting themes. And we haven't even gone into the primary conflict of the season yet. And I love, I love this whole plotline of harmonic convergence causing new airbenders to arise. Because Korra did say, harmonic convergence has shifted the energies of the planet. And I guess this is the most significant way in which harmonic convergence has shifted the planet. It's almost as if when harmonic convergence came, the universe recognized, hey, there's not a lot of airbenders left. And decided, well, guess we gotta correct that. Boop. Now there's a bunch of airbenders again. It's so cool! It's such an amazing idea to just be like, hey, this big spiritual event, this big planetary alignment that puts the Earth into this spiritual reset almost. Yeah, it it, it recognized there was a gap in the airbender space and changed it and sought to change it. It's a pretty amazing plot point. It's a pretty genius plot point. Uh, Of course, we have this opening sequence thread of Boomy realizing he has airbending. Realizing that he's now an airbender. uh, Falling from a tree with Boom June. (laughs) Boom (laughs) June. And then like flailing his arms around at the dinner table like, I swear I can bend! Shut up, Boomy! Milo throws a bowl at him and he airbends a sphere around it like, I told you! That scene is so, so good. So now Boomy, who we've seen a lot in season two as... Being the black sheep of the family because he's not a bender. Being the weird offshoot of the family because he's not a bender. And feeling like he is less than his brother and sister because he's not a bender. Now he is a bender and that arc is resolved in such an uplifting, such a satisfying way. Where it's like, oh, Boomy's an airbender now. And I especially love, 
best sequence in this episode, maybe the best scene, or one of the best scenes in all of Legend of Korra, is when Tenzin is sitting, staring at Aang's statue, and talking to Aang like, it finally happened. After 170 years, your dream of restoring the Air Nation, it's about to finally come true. It's about to finally be seen through. It's about to finally be a thing. And then his kids show up, Jinora, Iki, Milo, all gather around him, and they just have all these questions about what happens now that there's a whole crapload of airbenders aside from just them. And he's answering all these questions, and it's adorable, really. Like, they have all the dumbest questions. Like, is Boomy our brother now? Well, technically, all airbenders are family. Does that mean I'll have to share my room? I hope you'll have enough for an army. I want to be a commander like Boomy. Airbenders don't have an army, Milo. Like, like he's just fielding all of these questions about what happens now. And while he's doing this, like, you can tell he's having this huge, like, moment of just a mixture of happiness and disbelief and uncertainty and joy. Like, it's just this huge mix of emotions that form this Voltron of, oh my god, this is happening. I can't believe this is a thing. I can't believe there are finally airbenders again. My god. And it's done so well! They... They convey this massive sequence of emotions. This massive Voltron of emotions. I'm going to say Voltron of emotions over and over and over, by the way. They convey it so perfectly. In such a magnificent, effective way. Uh, And I especially adore the bridge sequence. Where we literally have our first new airbender in I don't even know how long. About to freaking kill himself. And now we see this very grounded, very close to home sequence of Korra having to go up and kind of literally talk him down from the ledge. And she relates to him... So perfectly, and is like, hey, I, I know you're scared, but we can go to Air Temple Island. I, I can have, I know people who can teach you airbending, and they're really excited to meet you. Like, you can continue to move forward from this. And then, it's kind of poetic how he gets up is about to take Korra's hand, and then falls, and Korra has to then save him. Like, it's this weird, like, darkly poetic moment, but thankfully she saves him, and now he's our first new airbending recruit. The first of a new air nation. 
This is so awesome. I remember when this happened. I remember when I first saw this. I was like, oh my god, that's awesome. Now there's finally new airbenders again. Yay! Like, I was so happy that, like, now Aang lost his entire family, everything he's ever known, 170 years ago. And now 170 years later, it's finally being rebuilt, uh, unfortunately, after Aang's passing. But it is, his vision is being, (laughs) his vision is being followed through on. His vision is coming to light. And it's almost like this brilliant closing out of an arc that's lasted, like, throughout an entire show and a half. Like, literally, throughout all of Avatar The Last Airbender and throughout the first half of Legend of Korra, we've had this arc hanging over our heads of there are very few airbenders left. Aang was the last one, and now they're slowly rebuilding this out. And now this arc has finally come to fruition. Like, they are they are giving us back. They are giving us back a little nugget all the way back from episode one of the original series. That's the type of brilliance I expect from Legend of Korra. Anyone who is listening to my criticisms in season two, anyone who is listening to my criticisms of that and were like, well, what did you want? This, this level of brilliance, this level of extraordinary narrative payoff, extraordinary depth, extraordinary layers, extraordinary character moments. I wanted this. And now we have it and it's perfect. Uh, I also want to talk about How this episode actively laughs in the face of the melodrama that it was previously relishing in way too much. Like, I've complained throughout the entirety of the first two seasons about the overly, about the overemphasis on melodrama uh, with that love triangle between Mako, Asami, Korra, It was annoying, I didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. It was bad. But, now we're into season three, and it's almost as if if this show kind of had a realization of, oh yeah, that's kind of stupid. And then made this shift, so now, instead of focusing on that melodrama as this serious, drawn-out plotline, they made it a punchline. They made it into a joke of Mako conducting himself like an idiot (laughs) and, like, (laughs) sleeping at the police station instead of at Air Temple Island because his two ex-girlfriends are there. (laughs) Mako comes to the Air Temple and just makes a fool out of himself, like, just being so awkward uh, salutes Korra and Asami before awkwardly walking away. <laughs> Korra and Asami are just laughing behind his back <laughs> about it because it's so freaking stupid. They both recognize the absurdity of this whole thing and are laughing it off and also building this magnificent friendship. 
as they're driving around and Korra's learning to drive and is really, really bad at it. Which, by the way, I adore that scene. The Korra learning to drive scene is the greatest thing ever. It's so fun. It's su it, there, There's such an infectious happiness and such an infectious joy to it. That this show has been missing for a while at this point. It's so good. Uh, but I wanted to underscore that because, thank God, seasons three and four, a lot lighter on the melodrama than, uh, than, this, than these last two seasons are. Seasons three and four, a lot lighter on the melodrama than seasons one and two. So, now, we should probably discuss this ending, where we are introduced to our villain, Zaheer, who is amazing, by the way, in the most awesome way possible. So, after having this whole episode where it is revealed there are new airbenders in the world, after having this whole arc transpire in front of us, and Tenzin saying, who knows who out, who's out there right now discovering the gift of airbending, we cut to this very remote prison where members of the White Lotus are guarding this dude, Sahir. And sort of insulting him and berating him, because, ha ha, you're in prison. And Zaheer tells this tale of this air nomad, this air guru who achieved weightlessness. And talks about how instinct is a lie. Because if you go based off of what you see, it will betray you. And then he like reveals that he's an airbender and goes on this one man army attack. Just taking out White Lotus guards, putting them in the cell, just being terrifying and badass and absolutely incredible in pretty much every possible way. So he locks him in this cell, says, you better ration that bowl of rice, it's three weeks until the next shift change. It's a new era, the end of the White Lotus and the end of the Avatar, and then just jumps down this mountain. With his new airbending abilities. Like, oh my god. I mean, look, we'll talk about Zaheer a lot throughout this season. But he is an amazing villain. And this is a really great introduction to him. My god, this first episode is great. My god, this first episode is absolutely magnificent. And I love everything about it. Uh, a brilliant beginning to a brilliant at least from what I remember, season. Cannot wait to go through this more. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. 
I will play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything you get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support this show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow we will be discussing The Legend of Korra, Season 3, Episode 2. Talk to you then.